0: Good morning, good afternoon, everyone. I'm Valeria Piñeiro, I'm a Senior Research uh, Coordinator here at IFPRI, International Food Policy Research Institute. And I would like to really thank you for joining us today and uh, welcome you as well. So we have a very nice um, agenda today. We're going to be presenting the report of evidence based and Costed Deep Dives for Achieving Sustainable Food Systems. We're going to be presenting three different countries today, which are Malawi, Ethiopia, and uh, Nigeria. And um, we have the way we're going to uh, organize this um, event today, which is organized jointly with uh, IISD and Shamba Center. We're going to be doing it, um, Sean um, Wolfrey, who is Senior Advisor and Research Coordinator at the International Institute for Sustainable Development, IISD is going to be giving us the welcoming remarks. And then we're going to go through the report in which we're going to have four presenters um, and I will introduce them when we get to that point. And then we're going to have uh, two panelists in which they will give their comments about the report, which we're going to be hearing. And then finally, we're going to have some time for a Q&A. Um, for that, if you would like to ask uh, your questions you can always um, participate um, putting uh, your questions in ifpre.org or Facebook or LinkedIn, YouTube, or by asking Ask Ifpre, the hash mark Ask Ifpre on uh, Twitter. So with this, just let me pass the floor to uh, Sean. Sean, welcome, thank you very much.
1: Great, thank you very much, Valeria, and uh, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, distinguished speakers colleagues from IFPRI and from the Shamba Center for Food and Climate, and all of those joining us today from around the world. It's my absolute pleasure to give these introductory remarks for this launch of the recently published IASD-IFPRI report on achieving sustainable food systems in a global crisis. I was not personally involved in producing the report, which I, I think gives me license to say what an excellent, impressive, and important piece of work it is. And I would certainly encourage anyone with an interest in promoting sustainable food systems to read the report and the country studies it summarizes. Now, as you will hear shortly from several of the authors, the report reveals the scale of public investment, including official development assistance, needed to achieve sustainable food systems in three African countries, Ethiopia, Malawi, and Nigeria by 2030. It also identifies the kinds of public policy interventions that would be most effective in promoting such food systems transformations and highlights the need for donors to scale up longer term investments in agricultural development, food security and nutrition. In doing so, the report summarizes the findings of an IFPRI IASD project that sought to contribute to and build on progress made at the UN Food Systems Summit in 2021. This project, which is supported by the German government and the European Commission, builds on prior collaboration between ISD and IFPRI under the series 2030 project and explores the interactions between interventions to reduce hunger and poverty, to promote healthy diets, and to address climate change, all within the context of food systems transformations in the three project countries. For each of these countries, the project has identified through a combination of economic modeling, analysis of household demand and stakeholder consultations, a set of policy interventions to transform food systems in a way that ends hunger, makes diets healthier and more affordable, improves the productivity and incomes of small scale producers and mitigates and adapts to climate change. It has also calculated the cost of these sustainable food systems transformation pathways for each country. I said before that I think this kind of work is important I also think it's timely. 2030 is fast approaching, and unfortunately, we're not quite on track to meet all of the Agenda 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, including ending hunger. Many of us working on sustainable development, whether globally or at local or country level, recognize that making our food systems more sustainable is critical for achieving many, if not all, of the SDGs. Now, this was a point that was much emphasized during the UN Food Systems Summit, and one that I think has been increasingly internalized by policymakers around the world since then. 18 months on from the UN Food Systems Summit, the governments of Ethiopia, Malawi and Nigeria, but also many other countries around the world, are committed to implementing national pathways for food systems transformation. IISD is working with several countries to support their food systems transformation efforts, including through collaboration with IFPRI and other partners. Our experience has shown that while the case for food systems transformation has largely been made, policymakers and other stakeholders who are involved in in these transformation efforts are really eager for support to help them identify the best mixes of policies and public investments needed to achieve multiple sustainable development objectives in their specific context and to better understand the costs involved. This is particularly true for low- and middle-income countries, many of whom are among the worst affected by the ongoing and overlapping shocks to the global food system that we've been experiencing recently. This unfavorable global context and the scarcity of financial resources available to many governments uh, makes it critical that policymakers pursue food systems transformation pathways that maximize synergies and limit trade-offs between objectives such as ending hunger and poverty, improving nutrition, and combating climate change. To do this, they need robust evidence and analysis of the kind provided in the report that we're launching today. For these reasons, I commend the authors for their excellent work on the report and on the project behind it, and express the commitment of IASD and our co-organizers, IFPRI and Shamba, to continue to support food systems transformation efforts around the world. Finally, I hope that all of you following today find this session interesting and informative, and I invite you to engage further with us on this important area of work. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Sean, for those uh, remarks and, uh, and, and for welcoming everyone today here. Um, so I think that um, it is very clear how timely it is in terms of the Food Systems um, Summit, the uh, stake that is coming um, this summer in June, and also for the achieving the um, SDGs, as you mentioned. We do have this objective, a global objective, having sustainability in the three pillars, no? the economic... Uh, the environment and the social, and how important it is to really come up with the right interventions that are the most uh, efficient ones. Um, but as you said, it's the most efficient ones given all the fiscal uh, deficit that many countries are having and more than anything, the debt uh, that some of these countries are having. So with this, I would just like uh, to introduce the four uh, presenters of these reports. We're going to do it all in a row, so I'm going to present them all at once. So first we have uh, Alan Dubrow, who is senior research fellow here at IFPRI. We have Livia Visikova, she's a lead monitor and governance tracking progress program at the International Institute for Sustainable Development, IISD. We have Francine Picard, co-founder and director of partnership from Shamba Center for Food and Climate. And last but not least, we have uh, Karen Smoller that she's also co-founder and executive director of Shamba Center for Food and Climate. So with this, let me up to the floors
2: to you guys. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Valeria. Great. Good morning, everyone. Uh, so my name is Francine Picard, um, the co-director uh, of partnership at Shamba Center for Food and Climate. So I'll start uh, the presentation and then I will uh, and other to alan so actually it's really really a great pleasure to uh, speak to these reports and especially today uh, as we are coming together to discuss uh, this important evidence that they have the potential to transform the food system in especially in light of the severe and interrelated shocks that are hitting our planet to few to see the few the pandemic the war in ukraine the high inflation and the climate crisis. And especially we are having a thought for our colleague uh, in Malawi that they are actually facing a a huge climate crisis. So this shock and crisis have worsened food insecurity, malnutrition, poverty, and economic hardship in many, many countries. Thus, for us, it was quite crucial to find bold, innovative solutions that focus own system thinking to address these challenges. So we came today with a title that say how USD 10 billion can transform food system in Ethiopia, Malawi, and Nigeria. So the figure of 10 billion US dollar is not just a mere number. It's essential to understand where this number come from and what impact it can achieve in the context of the current challenges. Uh, next slide, please. So the CERES 2030 deep dive into the nexus of food system, climate change and diets, uh, achieving sustainable food system in a global crisis, actually is an initiative that is originated from a request made to researcher from IFRI, uh, ISD, and Samuel's colleague now from Shamba Center for Food and Climate, and they'll ask us to spark this question and provide evidence on how the food system can be transformed in order to enhance food security, improve nutrition, uplift livelihood and outcome and build more climate resilience production system in ensuring that we reduce the greenhouse gas emission. This initiative also is purely a contribution to the United Nations Food System Summit that have set forth ambition goal to transform global food system. Their co-author comprising economists, nutritionists, environmentalists, and lawyer. And the study has been supported by BMZ, the European Commission, and GIZ. But most importantly, the process was also country driven, and it was also country owned processes that also participated to ensure that fellows from the country of Malawi, Ethiopia, and Nigeria uh, understand and also own this uh, policy intervention that are part of that evidence that we are going to present. And also provide key intervention on how to promote sustainable and inclusive food system for, for this country. Next slide, please. So what's the overall goal and objective of the country deep dive uh, is about? So it's about to build the evidence based on how we can transform and provide affordable healthy diet to all, and this in a sustainable way. And looking at that, we need also to ensure that we have a figure associated to this uh, intervention. So the Ceres 2013. Um, If I can uh, remember people, it's the sustainable solution to end hunger. It represents actually the first ever evidence-based that provide a global roadmap with high-impact area of intervention and as well as their additional public investment needed to actually end the SDG, to end hunger, double the income and productivity of small-scale producers and protect the climate. So we use the Ceres 2030 as a basis, providing these global studies and try to deep dive into the country. And while we were doing that, we actually include the nutrition outcome. Uh, And also looking at the climate resilience production. So the studies is more ambitious. It's actually to ensure that we can transform the food system in the country, looking at the overall SDG 2 And we bring that study to uh, Ethiopia, Malawi and Nigeria. Next slide, please. So the good news, because there's a good news around this number, these 10 uh, billion US. dollars. So the good news is like we, it is possible to share, to achieve sustainable food transformation in these three countries. The figure we have it, we are, it's a bit, I'm a bit redundant, but it's really also clear to understand what uh, this figure mean. Um, so if we provide 10 billion per year from now to 2030, we can achieve that. But we can achieve that only in following a specific uh, portfolio of intervention that actually could ensure that we are uh, targeting the whole issue together. And while the funding we fund is like in this 10 billion, we have a number for the donor share that is 5.8 billion. And the rest also need to also be part of the contribution of the country themselves. So the funding, the key funding also regarding this uh, study is also to pay also attention. And I think it's something that's regarding the context the stagnation of ODA to compare to emergency. And if we want to change the food system, we need also to think and invest more in the long-term. Or find ways on how emergency uh, food assistance can also complement the long-term vision that we like to do in in, um, changing the, the, the food system transformation. What we also found uh, in this report is the series of uh, interventions. So I will cite a few, and my colleague will go more deeply into them. The first is the productivity gap, particularly in livestock. We found that there is an investment gap in climate adaptation. The nutrition-sensitive agriculture intervention need to be linked to the nutrition education and food loss and waste are really, really important if we need to tackle and achieve uh, food system transformation. Providing the number and providing the solution is also bringing to the country that there is trade-off. There is trade-off that they need to make to ensure that their solution are really contributing uh, to change uh, the situation. So I will give the floor to my colleague, Alan to go and present um, uh, the, the the problem. but before giving the floor to Alan, uh, next slide, please. So j- just again to emphasize, because my whole intervention was about these 10 million, because the figure can be really uh, alarming, but actually, it's also important to understand what these 10 billion can achieve. So it can under uh, it can eradicate anger. It can ensure that 108 million people have healthier diets in the plates. And this is really important. We have a a huge number of people that we can actually ensure this contribution. 29 million farmers will be out of poverty. And this can be achieved also while we are having a carbon neutrality and we increase resilience. Uh, So the 10 million is really a key. So I will let the floor to Alan,
2: thank you. Um, thanks. thanks, Francine.
4: Uh, can we see the next slide, please? So I'm gonna talk about the problem or uh, another way to put it is the data. And um, I'm, I always love talking about data. So uh, that's, that's my role for, for this talk. And we can go to the next slide to start talking about the data. First, I want to say that in all three of the countries that we studied, um, undernourishment uh, and poverty are are quite persistent. Um, We can see that there was a lot of pro, these figures show that there was quite a bit of progress um, or there was some progress uh, in poverty in, there was some progress, there was quite a bit of progress in Africa in general between about 2000 and 2019. However, what, we're see, what we see in this figure in particular, I wanna look at the, the left side, or the, excuse me, the right side of these graphs is that the prevalence of, of unaffordable healthy diets or, or the lack of affordability of healthy diets is quite high and it, hit, and it hits much more than even the majority of the population, over 75% in all three of these countries. Um, and the, the second thing I wanna say is business as usual against the 2019 um, scenario which is the light blue bar, uh, actually gets us not very far uh, by 2030. Uh, this, the pre- prevalence of under, um, of unaffordable healthy diets remains about the same. Um, so without any action, we'd see a larger number of people have uh, being um, unable to afford a healthy diet because the number of people will be rising in each of these countries. Next slide, please. The second point I want to make is relates to the dietary diversity, or the di- the lack of dietary diversity in in people's diets. In each of these three countries, roughly seventy percent of calories uh, are derived from cereals or starches, um, and smaller amounts from from other uh, other foods. I want to highlight in particular, um, actually, you see in in Nigeria, animal foods making up four point seven percent of the the calories, um, and you don't see that orange slice at all in uh, either Malawi or Ethiopia because it ended up getting stuck in the other because the percent of calories was so small. Um, so that's a that's a key. You know, we we know that animal source foods are quite high, quite dense in nutrients, and so that's a that's a problematic feature of of the diets in these countries. Um, meanwhile, we see you know a, a second thing I want to point out is that vegetables they're reasonably high in Malawi, but they they're pretty low in Nigeria and in, in Ethiopia's share of calories. Not that vegetables have that many calories to begin with, but that regardless they're, they're lower than they should be. Um, and fruits are getting stuck in the other too. So if we think about that, that um, WHO recommendation of 400 grams per day, um, we can see that that's that's really being not being met here. Next slide, please. Okay, so here we show the, the current versus targeted dietary composition in these, these countries. We combine, again, those, those small values. So what we'd like to see is uh, a rise in, um, in particular in, in that fruit and vegetable consumption, but also um, particularly in all, well, actually in all three of the countries, we'd like to see higher um, animal source food consumption to get us closer to these targets that we're talking about. So this is shares of daily consumption, and this is making, of course, the assumption, oh, last thing to say here is that, that the target is also uh, a reduced uh, share of calories that we see from from the grains and starches. Um, so we'd like to see a, what what needs to happen for uh, that those diets, sustainable healthy diets to be consumed is, a shift from starches to more fruits, vegetables, um, and animal source products. Now that can create another concern, which we can see on the next slide, which um, is an interesting and important trade-off between diets um, related to diets and greenhouse gas emissions. So this is something that our modeling needs to take into account and and needs to balance effectively. Um, What we can see is between 2008 and 2018 in all three of these countries, Um, there's an increase in agricultural production emissions when we take uh, crops and livestock into account. Um, So that said, most of the growth, or almost all of the growth, particularly in the the first two countries, Nigeria, there's a bit of growth coming from from crop production. But in the the other two countries, we see all of the growth coming from, uh, from livestock uh, production. So livestock emissions. So that's something else we need to keep in mind um, as we think about the productivity of the sector. We want to think about productivity in a number of different ways. And we, we uh, accounted for that in our modeling. Um, I think, next slide, please. Uh, I think at this point, I'm turning the uh, floor over to Livia to talk about how to spend the money better.
2: So over to you.
5: Thank you. And I'm also delighted to be part of this presentation and also of the project to work with colleagues. And thank you, Alan and Francine, for the introduction. So, what basically um, Alan quickly really stated is that there is a significant nutrition challenge. And in terms of the quality of the diet that the countries and most of the population face till 2030, there is also a food security challenge. And all these is, uh, have direct or indirect impact on agriculture productivity, agriculture production, and duration of smallholders. So, as, as Francie mentioned, we know that roughly 10 billion US dollars per year on average will be needed to improve these challenges and achieve those improvements, um, um, both along food security, nutrition, and agriculture productivity, while keeping the emissions, greenhouse gas emissions somewhat in check and doing these things in a climate change adaptive resilient way. These are kind of very complex challenges and we are touching on four different areas of, um, of policy interventions or project or donor based activities. So let's lead the next slide. And so when we looked at it, what actually, how this money can be spent or what are the priorities, we looked at three priorities or three areas of um, priority is, um, in terms of different types of interventions. So the first group of interventions we call Empower the Excluded, and these categories are the same as they have been used in the series project, in case somebody remembers. And so these um, are the first group are measures to address social protection, to, to address poverty reduction and kind of address the immediate needs of people who are the most vulnerable. The second group really focuses on farm activities. And these are basically interventions to help smallholders to improve productivity, to produce better, to produce different types of uh, crops or engage in livestock production. So these include diverse direct supports from fertilizer, seeds, irrigation systems, other type of modes like, for example, agroforestry or use improved forage. The last group of interventions are those that are targeting mostly access to markets. So here it comes to the storage of the food as well as um, infrastructure development to help farmers so their product reach the markets. When we look at these three countries, all three the priority allocation of resources are, is, are on the group of on-the-farm interventions. So most interventions that are needed are those that are helping smallholders to improve their productivity in different ways, which is targeted to the country's policy priorities. The second to the empowered Excluded and Food on the Move are both much less shares for Ethiopia and Malawi. While in Nigeria, while well, while still on-the-farm interventions is the biggest allocation, uh, empower the excluded at food on the move is still significant. And in the country reports, we have very details on how this allocation um, should happen based on the modeling and the quantitative assessments. But so now I'd like to uh, provide you examples of policies, programs, or um, activities that can actually help achieve these priorities within these groups. In the report of every country, there is a detailed policy assessment uh, where we looked at the policy priorities across those four areas. So we looked at, let's say, agricultural production strategies, agriculture modernization strategies, livestock strategies to cover the kind of the agricultural change that the country would like to see. Then we look at diverse food security strategies, poverty reduction strategies to address the immediate food security needs. We looked at nutrition related strategies and biofortification to address the nutrition angle. And then we looked also at the INDC and, and NAPS and other type of policies that are directly focused on reducing greenhouse gas emissions or improving the ability of the countries and farmers to adapt. So now let's look at some of these specific examples of how, what the countries are doing, what we are finding and where are the gaps. Next slide, please. We can say that definitely, you know, these four policy areas are very challenging to integrate. So we are moving from nutrition, food security, agriculture production and climate. Most uh, most of the policies and uh, uh, frameworks that are applied in the countries, but probably everywhere in the world, they usually cover two of them, maybe three, but to bring all these four types of uh, needs into one umbrella in the policy making world is very challenging. And this not necessarily means that there is a lack of policy coherence, meaning that you know, uh, one, one strategy aims for something else, and another one for something else, and they are kind of in conflict, or at least they are working against each other. Rather, there we can say there is a lack of integration. So there are, there are missed opportunities where, where these links can be actually brought together, and, and one measure could effectively contribute to more than one goal, or more than two goals. And that's where we are tra- and that's what we are trying to show in the study, and also in these couple of slides. So now let's look at the, some of the findings. So, uh, so when we directly focusing on small scale producers, and Alan already mentioned this, there is a strong interest, very strong interest in all three countries to improve livestock productivity. Until 2030, all three countries are significantly aiming to improve the number of livestock, the livestock productivity which has direct implication for greenhouse gas emissions. And this is captured a lot in their policy documents. It has also implication for climate change adaptation, which is not that well captured so far in the policy document. So the link between adapting to climate and livestock um, productivity, that's definitely one of the gaps. Other thing is that while the the most of the agricultural documents aim for sustainably increased agricultural productivity, most of the deep dives often tend to be on crops instead of livestock. And given the expected growth in livestock in these countries, there might be much more need to looking at how we can achieve the growth sustainably, sustainably in this sector. And what we are also seeing there's a very little donor focus based on our, on our analysis on these type of livestock related products, uh, projects or, or activities in these countries. So there are some in Ethiopia, but definitely much less in Malawi and Nigeria. And given that the animal production will become also a huge part of the nutrition, um, improvements in nutrition or the, to addressing the gap in nutrition, this link between livestock nutrition, greenhouse gas emission might be something and doing it sustainable might be something that is definitely one of the gaps that we found in the study. Next slide, please. So now let's look at another group of interventions, which are social protection. All the countries have in place effective social protection programs that have been been, uh, applied and um, um, introduced for many, many years. One uh, interesting example of a social uh, social protection program that kind of feeds into the thinking that we are trying to do in this project in our finding is the Malawi example, where there is actually specific focus on nutrition. In most uh, in most other countries, the social protection does not provide specifically to nutrition. So this is again something an opportunity that, for when these social um, um, protection projects or programs are designed, some attention to developing targeting nutrition information or support, so that while we are improving the income of the most vulnerable, we are also thinking about the composition of their diet. Uh, will, could be an opportunity. Um, next slide, please. The other group of intervention is nutrition. As Alan said, the strong uh, part of this project is to improve nutrition and to address nutritional challenges, in, in, including having more diversified diet and moving away on a strong focus on starchy food or grains. In most of the countries, there are in specific initiatives targeting nutrition education or developing um, supporting uh, nutritious food products uh, to improve the the availability of nutritious food, but as also Alan said, over uh, in the findings, it is um, really shown that the, the largely the nutritious foods are unaffordable. So, in order to address this issue, and we talked about the smallholder production, there is definitely need to a specific focus on um, integrating um, access to nutritious food into social programs, addressing the linkages between agricultural production and nutrition because this is one of the gaps in the studies that while agricultural production often looks at the climate link and somewhat food security, the link between agricultural production and changes in agricultural production and nutrition is not that well captured in the country's policy documents nor projects. There is an interesting example he listed from Nigeria where they diversify between uh, nutrition focused education for urban areas where the needs are different, access to nutritious food is different, Costs are different, incomes are different compared to rural areas where it's actually, this is kind of that link between nutrition and production, for example, that they actually really talk about how to improve access to cold storage and other types of system that helps preserve nutritious foods and make make possible to access them to the market. And these kind of linkages are really interesting that coming out from this project that I often lack in the policy world or at least not captured enough. Next slide, please. climate change and adapting to climate change. As I mentioned, um, the improvement and expected growth in the livestock sector in all all countries creates an unprecedented production of greenhouse gases that, that countries are working on to address and they're addressing included in their INDCs. But beyond the greenhouse gas part, there is also the challenging of adapting to climate change. All the countries are facing significant uh, challenges, mostly in terms of droughts, and that kind of uh, influences their ability to produce rain fed agriculture. And in Nigeria, we have a um, diversity of impacts from flood to drought, depending on the location. One thing what we can say in terms of adapting to climate change and their inclusion into the policy and programmatic uh, level is that most of the agricultural strategies and climate change strategies make this link between the need for adaptation and how to improve the adapt- adaptability of the agriculture, how to have farmers make them more capacities to be able to adapt. There is, there, there is some link to food security, but definitely the link between what are uh, what these adaptation efforts and improved adaptive capacity means for nutrition is in most of these strategies Captured to a very limited scale, or sometimes it's not captured at all. Um, so, there is definitely that kind of link of how we choose adaptive measures and do they have an impact for aff- affordability and availability of nutrition foods is something that also um, is in question and might be uh, required further investigation. Next slide, please. Food waste, loss and waste. So this is one of the areas that during especially since the SDGs when there is a specific goal on food loss and waste gain a lot of attention and uh, there are more and more countries looking into how to how to reduce food loss and or waste. And in most countries, so in our, um, there are policies. For example, in, in a, from our three countries, um, Ethiopia has very good policies around the management of food loss and waste. However, there is lack of or limited programming. In Malawi's policies, there is a very limited um, coverage of how to deal with food loss and waste. So the policies are not there in a significant extent. And of course, therefore, there is also quite limited project efforts going on. In Nigeria, the issue of food loss and waste is directly linked to agricultural development and agricultural transformation through promoting post-harvest loss and promoting infrastructure to save perishable food and therefore, you know, um, contribute to nutrition. So this is, again, a link where we are actually addressing multiple challenges of the food system from nutrition, food security and agricultural transformation. And my last slide, please. Um, Many things that I mentioned here can actually be a matter of of, uh, capacity building activities and you know from nutrition to food security or how better transform agriculture for this last capacity building i just would like to mention one more issue which is related to monitoring and tracking progress so, all three countries, and in many other countries, also made a huge progress in terms of their ability to um, to account for the extent of food food uh, food insecurity, the types of food insecurity, and nutrition challenges, especially for certain groups. This is very obvious from their, for example, from their reporting to the HLPF in terms of their, you know, progress with achieving SDGs however most of the countries including our three countries have a very limited understanding about the well-being and the situation including the incomes but other well-being challenges of smallholders and very often when we talk about the challenges of smallholders in terms of food security and nutrition there is quite limited uh, data not just in these countries but um, in many other countries and therefore one of the kind of the major capacity building uh, suggested outcome would be also to looking at how to better use disaggregated data and how to account the diversity of challenges of smallholders at the subnational level and this is something that is definitely relevant for many other countries regionally and internationally and also would give opportunities for more collaboration across countries on this issue. Thank you and now I'm handing over to Karin to talk about the cost and the allocation of resources to achieve these interventions. Thank you.
6: Thanks, Livia. So I'm going to dive a bit deeper into the $10 billion figure and talk about where we're going to find this additional money. But I think before I do this, um, I mean, the, my co-authors have done an amazing job at presenting you know, what we did and how we did it, but I just can't emphasize enough how urgent all of this is. Um, we had colleagues from Malawi who are joining us today and who have not been able to come because of Cyclone Freddy and the response to Cyclone Freddy and all the devastation and the loss of life that this has caused. So all the countries that we've been working with are facing this reality of the effects of climate change. And yet, as Alan showed, we still haven't solved these core basic social problems like hunger, poverty, and the fact that diet, healthy diets are just simply out of reach for most of the population. So in this light, 10 billion may sound like a big number, but it's actually a, a tiny amount of money for the kinds of problems that we're trying to solve and the scale of problems that we're trying to address, and I think what's so um, what's what's so um, hopeful about this project is that we are not trying to just solve one problem. We're not trying to just solve climate change. We're not trying to just solve nutrition. We're not trying to just solve poverty. We've really put together a very integrated, holistic research agenda or research goal where we are trying to solve for multiple outcomes and I think Livia's really showed in detail what that would mean in these three countries and where the priorities would need to shift from what's being done currently to what would need to be done to get there. But yes, we do need extra money and where's it gonna come from? So let me just dig in a bit so we can have the next slide and just look a bit more deeply into that $10 billion. So if you see this slide here, you see um, how that 10 billion is divided between the three countries. And then what you see in light blue is the share of those resources that have to come from domestic resources, so from the government uh, raising taxes, borrowing more money, et cetera, et cetera. And in the dark blue, we see um, the money that has to come from external resources, um, from aid or other external resources. And what you see here, I think, interestingly, is that most of the additional money is going into Nigeria and Ethiopia, given how huge these countries are and how big their populations are. So about you know, half, most, you know, half of the money going into Nigeria, four and a half billion going into Ethiopia and half a billion in Malawi. But I think also given where they are in terms of their capacity to mobilize domestic resources, we see the bulk of the resources that have to go to Malawi needing to come from external support Whereas in Nigeria, almost half the support comes from domestic resources and a little bit less in Ethiopia. So the governments of Nigeria and Ethiopia are needing to do a lot more um, in order to raise those additional resources to achieve these challenges. Next slide.
2: Is there more money available
6: or Do we believe what we hear everybody say, that aid budgets are shrinking and there's no more money available? So where are we going to get this money from? So now I'm going to zoom in on this external resources. And what I want to show you is um, a slide or a, a figure that looks at the evolution of aid to agriculture and food security. Where in green, we're looking at the contribution from the G7, which is still the the, the, the seven countries where the bulk of aid comes from. And then in green, the non-G7 countries. And in our shades of light, light green and light gray, we're looking at how much money, um, sorry, in our gray, we're looking at how much money is going to emergency food assistance. And in our green, we're looking at how much money is going to achieve that longer term agenda. That is what we're interested in these studies. So I think what you can see here, we look at two periods. We look at the period before the G7 made this commitment in 2015 to lift 500 million people from hunger and malnutrition, this famous LMAO commitment that was made by the G7. So we look at the three-year period before that and the three-year period after that. And what we can see, the good news is the aid budgets are growing. We have more money available today than we did before the G7 made this commitment to lift 500 million people out of hunger and malnutrition. So there is more money available. But importantly, what we see is that the money going into the long-term agenda is stagnating at around $12 billion, whereas the money going to emergencies is almost doubling. And that's why I think one of the key messages or one of the key challenges, this is normal. We've gone from crisis to crisis. We've gone from shock to shock. When we have a shock and we have a crisis, what happens first is you need to get emergency assistance. But what we see here is really the importance of us needing to now leverage some of that emergency assistance for the long-term agenda so that it's contributing to that resilience building, to that longer-term food security reduction, the longer term poverty reduction, and ultimately better quality diets for everyone. Next slide. And I think this is my last slide. Um, what What we show you here now, which I think is also interesting, is to show you the investment gap between what countries are currently receiving in terms of support compared to the the long-term agenda compared to the emergency food assistance and what they would need to get out of this current crisis. So what we can see here in the dark colours on the left-hand side of each graph is how much money these countries are getting for the long-term agenda in terms of aid. And in the right-hand bar in grey, you're seeing how much they're getting for emergency food assistance. In the solid bar, we see what they get. And in the, in, the, in the lined bars, we're seeing what they need. So unfortunately we have a situation where there is still a huge need for more resources, both for long-term aid and for the emergency assistance. But if you look at the gap for the long-term aid, it is so much bigger than the gap for the short-term aid. And I want to zoom you into the Nigeria bar in particular, where we see Nigeria is getting 20 times less aid to agriculture and food security than it actually needs right now. It's also not getting enough emergency assistance, but really our big problem is the lack of of aid to the longer term agenda. One more slide and then I think I'm over. And this is really just to repeat everything that's been said today that Yes, the good news, as Francine said, um, the good news is that it is possible to achieve these big objectives, these big food system objectives of reducing hunger, reducing poverty, um, improving incomes and, and productivity, adapting to climate change, transitioning to healthier diets. But it's going to need a, more money, it's going to need a bigger donor share, and a more efficient effective mix of interventions, like my colleagues have shown, from social protection to nutrition education um, to investments um, in infrastructure to reduce food loss and waste. So thank you, and I look forward to the the questions and comments.
0: Thank you very much, Francine, Alan, Davia, Karen, for such a good um, uh, explanation of what the report was and their findings and everything. I think that this kind of report is very, very important and timely, as as you were all saying, because it's 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 in a very comprehensive way. It you take us through the whole uh, steps towards understanding the problem, finding the solution, how we can implement the interventions, find to solve that solution, um, how much it will cost, and who's going to finance it, but all these under this constraint or 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 looking it into what the structure of production of that country is, the consumer's behavior, the characteristics of the country, and also the policy space that each country, which they are all very different, uh, have. So with this, um, let me uh, move to the second part of, of this event in which we will hear the reactions from uh, our also our panelists. Um, and thank you very much for joining us. I have the bad news to say that the uh, Doshani um, Kadokera from Malawi, She's not go- he's not going to be able to join us today. They are having us, as um, our panelists mentioned, they're having crisis in the country. So unfortunately, we're not going to, to have them. But um, let me start with uh, William Althoff, his deputy head of unit from the G- DGA INTPA, from the European uh, Commission. William, um, thank you very much for joining us and the floor is all yours.
7: Thanks, Valeria. And um, many thanks, first of all, to, to the authors of the report and the presenters today. Um, um, we've heard uh, very interesting presentations um, from, from all four of um, of them. And um, uh, I would like to, to pay tribute to the fact that these reports are now out and um, are available to, to us all. And they're important and they're timely. They're timely because we are heading for this UN Food Systems Summit Stock Take moment, which takes place uh, in July this year. And where, again, we need to, to continue our discussions on how to change food systems in the world. And uh, these reports help us to frame those discussions and to, to, to direct the, the path of policies and of assistance. The latter is, of course, more important for, for, for donors. Um, We're also having later this year the SDG review at the UN General Assembly. And I think these reports are also important in that framework. And, and feeding into the discussions, particularly because they are um, referring so many things uh, or they, they're connecting so many things um, in the framework of food systems change. Uh, elements related to, to, uh, to climate change, elements related to nutrition, elements related to biodiversity, um, let's say our, our common global agenda, uh, not only on the SDG2, which were highlighted in, in the presentation, but with all kinds of links to other SDGs. So I, I think this is really timely. It's important it's also quite unique in the fact that um, that numbers in terms of uh, costs are uh, attached to to pathways and um in in that sense um, they complement other studies and other reports that uh, that we uh, we have in the world uh, i would like to, to mention here the the, uh, the reports on on the food systems assessments that uh, that FAo uh, has been uh, publishing uh, based on on the methodology that uh, that was um, developed by CIRAT and, and also supported by the European Union. Um, uh, 37 reports, about 37 countries are, are yet on the, um, on, on the website, uh, including, by the way, reports on, uh, on Malawi and, uh, and Nigeria. Um, and new ones are, are uh, being produced uh, throughout, but those reports are more analytical. They're uh, they're they're more detailed in in, in certain aspects, but they're certainly not um, involving uh, the uh, the modeling and the costing that uh, the current reports um, have um, um, have included. Um, I. Um, there are many strong sides of the reports that, uh, as far as I've seen them, and I, I, I was privileged to, to look at them uh, just before the launch um, and uh, looking at the, uh, at the presentation, I would like to, to, to highlight some, some parts that I particularly appreciate. Um, I, I very much appreciate the attention drawn to livestock. Um, livestock is uh, is one of those points, uh, one of those sec- sub um, that we uh- too often forget. It's, um, it's important both in terms of its, let's say, more intensive way, way of, of, of of production, but also um, because in many parts of the world, the pastoralist uh, agenda is an agenda that is actually um, forgotten while it is important. It's important for stability. It's important for food security. Um, it's important for environmental management. Um, and uh, from, from the European side, we, we try particularly in Africa to put that again higher on the agenda. Livestock is also important not only on the dietary side, it's also important on the health side in the in, in One Health approach. Um, and um, we need uh, in, in, in that sense to, to increase our collective investments um, on, on the livestock side. Fully agree to, to that. Also important, uh, again, and uh, this is not new, but but post harvest losses. Um, you cannot um, uh, raise attention too high for for that. Um, in in too many countries, um, this is actually a, 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 a type of investment that, that that yields very very high potential benefits, and um, rightly so that it's being um, being put uh, high on the agenda in all the three reports. Um, again, also a third point is on on social protection. Um, too much of the discussion uh, in the world goes on on, uh, on on agriculture and on food production, rather than on uh, let's say the the more vulnerable side of of um, of, of the consumption and the consumer side. Um, and social protection is uh, is is one of those areas that. Um, uh, that, that one has to probably expand quite considerably uh, in order to uh, to be able to to solve the uh, the hunger question in in the world, and uh, to to match that as as the reports say with uh, attention to to nutrition nutrition sensitive social protection um, is is again a win win proposition. Talking about win-win, um, I would also like to highlight the fact that I saw in the, um, in the report on Malawi uh, reference to agroecology and agroecology is is a way of um of, of producing and uh, a way in a certain way uh, a way of life um that that also produces win-win situations by um, by integrating agriculture livestock by changing uh, um, production systems to be more nature-based um and uh, in, and diversified um and uh, therefore uh, in in um, in our international cooperation, we increasingly emphasize uh, agroecological approaches um, as uh, as a win-win uh, solution. Um, finally, on, on the uh, appreciation side, I would like to um, to mention uh, the uh, attention to dietary diversity. Um, it is an uh, an area that um, that that deserves much more attention. Again, um, I, I saw in the um, the presentation that. Um, that uh, in in all countries um, we see uh, we we see a need to diversify. Uh, so in the Nigeria case, uh, too little um, uh, attention probably to vegetables and fruits, and, and maybe you can explain a bit on that. But from the European side, we would like to put on the agenda much more attention to indicators like uh, on dietary diversity in in um, in analysis in um, in advocacy, including uh, the MDDW you um as as a global indicator again now i've seen i've got one minute left but but i, I need to probably two to talk a bit on financing um and that is my 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 final point um, I see financing needs are. Uh, Karen says they're feasible. Uh, they're um, they 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 don't they look big but they're small, in a certain way they are. But uh, in another way they are big. They are pretty big indeed. Um, and um, this let's um, say moving in the direction of what is being proposed here is only feasible um, if we uh, if we find additional resources. And um, one has to go beyond, let's say, the traditional sources, the traditional donors, um, and um, the yeah, sources like the, the, the Green Climate Fund, the Global Environmental Facility, they need to be tapped much more on agriculture and, and food security. Um, otherwise, um, this, this, this will never materialize. Um, there are other elements, and I was talking about the, the, the social protection agenda. Um, this needs to be made uh, Matched with with um, macroeconomic assistance, uh, we need the World Bank, we need the IMF in 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 those cases, and there are many other uh, sources that we might need to tap in the world and not um, uh, because the let's say the, the traditional G7, um, we we are we might have increased actually since uh, since uh, 2019 so the, the figures went up to 2019 that you presented in between we've had covid we we also have the the ukraine crisis um, and and the, both of that uh, you required their own resourcing and um, um, Speaking for the European side, I think in 2022 uh, we've gone up with our support, both on the humanitarian development side. We will have the confirmation in the figures next month, but but I believe it went that way. Um, but but we are nowhere uh, to, let's say, in, in the direction of what uh, what is there, um, uh, what you put on the table. Um, so, um, yes, we see a humanitarian... Uh, financing going up, development financing relatively stable. Um, That requires again a rethinking on this. The humanitarian summit that took place uh, seven years ago drew a lot of attention to it um, and uh, called for a change. We need to change again. Um, From our side we have put forward uh, the initiative around the the global network against food crisis, which is a platform to to draw attention to it, but also to improve the synergies um, which again should then um, re reduce the, the need uh, for further investments. So um, uh, lots of things on our agenda, a lot of appreciation for the reports. Um, uh, they point uh, in the direction of, uh, of solutions, uh, but we need to, uh, to continue our dialogue and uh, our mobilization in, uh, in terms of resources, financial, human, and mental. So back to you, Valeria.
0: William, thank you so much. Um, I think that you highlighted many good things about the report and many uh, important issues that you think are relevant. I think that I really like the way you set it up in almost like two blocks. The first one was, um, we do have the technologies. We do know that livestock, for example, it's key to solve some of these issues uh, that we have, but we need to really work on the implementation. And for that implementation, uh, we need the finance. So how the finance is that important to really put it all all together. And then the other thing that also the uh, panelists mentioned is to really make sure that we have the differences between how we looked at the problems in the short term, that it is more the humanitarian response that you just mentioned, compared to the longer term vision that is more working onto the resilience uh, of the agricultural uh, system. So thank you very much. And with this, let me uh, pass the floor to Catherine Wenning. She's senior policy officer from the Federal Ministry of Economic uh, Cooperation and Development from BNC. Catherine, thank you very much for joining us today. Welcome. Glory is all yours.
8: Thank you very much. Thank you also to my previous speaker. And there is many, many points that we uh, fully agree. This is very timely, uh, extremely important work. Uh, BMZ is committed to um, food systems transformation. We renamed our special initiative to the transformation of agriculture and food systems and um, of course we um, last year also due to the crisis we spent um, or we uh, supported as much as ever before with 3.5 billion um, food and nutrition security and rural development. And uh, this is uh, why, for us, comprehensive reviews on, um, on what is necessary, where are the gaps, and what is currently done across um, uh, all donors is so important to know, um, to know where the gaps are. Um, as um, Francine Picard put it so, um, so fittingly, um, these reports show the numbers as well as the solutions. And uh, they provide evidence base for policy, and this is also why we support it. We've seen also that in practice in our discussion when we are in countries and talk to our partners, as was, for example, the case in Malawi, they form a very good discussion ground and uh, basis for uh, for uh, cooperation. Um, we take some very important aspects from uh, these reports. One is the interrelationship between uh, food systems, climate change, healthy diets, and uh, productivity. And we we take from that that, especially in the area of climate change, there could be more and there could be better. That is a very important um, uh, information for us. Then also, as uh, the previous speaker said, and um, as many speakers before stressed, um, there is a challenge of balancing, of course, um, the response to the immediate crisis with long-term transformation and investment. and um, the the immediate crisis of the various crises uh, that uh, that currently take place, of course took our um, took our investment, uh, took our focus and will continue to do so because those crises won't end immediately. So these inputs on how to to also, Invest in the long-term transformation is an important one. Um, um, we also would like to stress um, what you said about social protection and uh, the uh, nutritious, relevant aspects that are sometimes lacking in social protection networks. Also, one of our uh, main focus and thus uh, very important. Finally, um, the well, the overall result that food systems transformation is a complex and challenging task but not an insurmountable one is also important to us if uh, of course if the commitment um, is there and 10 billion sounds like a lot of a lot of money but as uh, karen smaller said the um, the effects of if the transformation not takes place and the costs that will ensue and the, the negative impact on systems and on on um, on people will be uh, will be much, much more. So this investment would pale compared to to the result. And William Althoff also said this is an extremely important year. This is why these reports are so timely. Uh, we will have the, uh, the stop-taking event of the UN Food System Summit, where countries will discuss also their national pathways and how they are implementing or would like to implement their plan um, uh, of their food system transformation. So uh, a hugely uh, important um, um, input, input for all these international discussions, and of course for the halftime of SHG two, and um, the success of what still needs to be done. Done. Um, we also would like um, to stress on the data. You made one point on the data uh, on the data that is very important. That sometimes that sometimes data also is lacking in very important aspects when it is disaggregated. Um for, uh, for us, that we support feminist development cooperation, feminist development policy, like seeing also data on, on groups that um, on, on women, um, on how they're differently affected is very important for us on an international level. Uh, this is also why we support uh, indicators like the MDDW because they add uh, additional aspects to the data discussions um, also linking into my previous speaker. Um, but overall, thank you so much for this very important work, for the basis, evidence base that you give policymakers for the decision making, um, and also thank you for giving me the slot to speak today.
0: Thank you so much, uh, Catherine. Um, as you pointed out, evidence is it's key. So, uh, so having these kind of reports, how important it is for, 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 for many stakeholders by policymakers some of them. So with this, let me just move to the uh, Q&A. We actually have very uh, good questions that you've been uh, placing in the many different places uh, that we have. If you still want to ask any questions, you can do it at ifpre.org, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or using the hashtag uh, AskIfPri on uh, Twitter. So the first question that we have today is from uh, Jasmine Kutumel. Uh, from Germany, and the question is, how is coordinated action plan as a next step? Will there be local coordination to facilitate a systemic response to identify solutions? And I think that uh, um, maybe Francine, if you want to have a, a first uh, chance to answer this question. Thank you.
3: Uh, thank you, Valeria. So I think I uh, will provide maybe two entry points. So the first one is like the, the, in the overall dialogue on food system transformation, there was a strong appeal for a systematic approach. And that systematic approach is also the fact that different ministers need to coordinate their action because food transformation is not about only the Minister of Agriculture, is included also over uh, a sector. And this is part of how the country need to come together and try to respond and provide uh, um, uh, work on this national pathway in a coordinated manner. Uh, my second entry point might be the fact that this costed roadmap, we have developed them with Ministry of Agriculture, Health, uh, Finance, depending on the countries. Um, they are uh, embarking on those. And then they are in that plan where they will use those evidence-based solutions to actually uh, uh, translate them uh, in different um, plan or projects, because this actually, we have provided them this costed roadmap. And then therefore, for for them, it's it's just a question from evidence to to action. So yes, and that one, it it also needed uh, any kind of action or intervention needed to be also quite coordinated around the country.
2: Thank you very much, Francine. I don't know if
0: anybody else would like to say something on this? Livia, thank you.
5: I just would like to say a specific comment on uh, on the taking the recommendations uh, forward. So one thing already Catherine talked about and Willem about, you know, the role of international organization and the support. Um, Francine mentioned about the country coordination, but there is definitely a challenge for most of the countries. Uh, The the solutions or the potential improvements, coordination linkages that are outlined in the report and detailed in our findings gives opportunities for the countries when their agricultural strategies, food, uh, uh, social security programs and other type of policy documents come up for review or for an update this is a great opportunity to start integrating some of these missing linkages um, into the strategy. So in the next phase of the strategy, uh, some of these issues are already captured. Some of these issues are very complex and they go through different types of departments, different types of data sources, different issues, and not everything we are used to integrate, but many things can be integrated when there are opportunities. Also at the country kind of policy making level.
0: Thank you very much, uh, Lydia. And with this, um, I'll ask another uh, question. Um, So this one is emissions are rising over time in all three countries, largely from the uh, livestock sector, but livestock products are important sources of nutrients in the diet. Is there anything that can be done to reduce the growth of emissions or is it important for improving diets that have little animal source food consumption? So I think that um, Alan, do you mind starting with this one? Thank you.
4: Not at all, thanks, Valeria. Um, So as it turns out, I didn't know this. uh, This is one of these things that you learn working in the uh, CGIAR. I'm actually coming to you from the Ileri campus in in Addis Ababa right now, um, where people work on on this type of problem. It turns out that a lot of the traditional breeds of livestock uh, take a longer time to mature than um, newer breeds of livestock. So if there are ways to replace um, essentially the herd uh, in kind of an aggregate way, you can, um, as livestock are, a- are able to uh, uh, fatten faster, I guess, for lack of a better term, they eat, they end up um, generating less greenhouse gases over the course of that cycle. Uh, so as it turns out that if the the traditional livestock are quite inefficient, and we can build more efficiency into the system in terms of of uh, livestock production by by trying to help people uh, use more efficient form uh, more efficient breeds of livestock than they have in their herds right now.
0: Thank you, Alan. Thank you very much. And then we have
6: Valeria um, can uh, I maybe just add something on on this point because obviously this was a huge um, source of discussion with the countries with the stakeholders that we engaged with with the researchers that we spoke about when we saw these findings come out and there was stuff that we learned what we can't get away from is the fact that given how poor quality the diets are for most people in all three countries, there is going to need to be more consumption of animal source foods. So we can't get away from that. But there are things that we can do differently. So I'll give you two examples. The first one is in Ethiopia, where we had, we initially only had three targets, Um, the 400 grams of fruits and vegetables the 10% of calories coming from animal source foods and the prevalence of undernourishment. Those are our three indicators for healthy diets. And after lots of rounds of consultations in Ethiopia, there was strong feedback that they said there's a missed opportunity here because we're seeing huge benefits from increasing consumption of pulses and legumes, both for diet diversity and for soil health and resilience. So we added for the, for the Ethiopia study, a target of 10% of calories coming from legumes and pulses to adjust to that. And that was very much part of this, still wanting to improve diets, but wanting the environmental footprint of the, that improvement to be lower. And the other example I'll give is, I don't know if you remember the slide that Alan showed where you showed the growth of emissions, and most of it was coming from livestock and less was coming from crops with the exception of Nigeria, where we did see a rise of emissions coming from crops. Now, what we found when we looked deeper as to why that's happening, at one point, Nigeria has made a priority of introducing more rice production. So one of Nigeria's food security strategies was to invest and prioritize in rice production. And that might have been a very good decision for food security purposes. But in terms of emissions, it may not have been because we also know that rice is one of the crops that has the highest source of greenhouse gas emissions. So when you're thinking about your food security strategy and which staples you wanna be prioritizing, this has to be one of the factors as well. It's not just about livestock.
2: Thank you, Karen.
0: Thank you very much. Um, so with this, um, let me ask uh, one one more question to, to all of you. And this comes from uh, Isabel. Um, and the question is, what are the main targets of investment? Education, infrastructure, empowerment, tools, programs? If somebody can elaborate on this about the interventions you actually model. Thank you.
6: Livia, do you want to take that one? Because it's very much about that opening slide you presented.
5: So overall, for all three countries, and this is uh, very much in line with their policy priorities, is to mostly invest to improve smallholders' agricultural production and productivity. And how it is done and what are the priorities in the specific countries um, is somewhat different, but there are... uh, lot of um, similarities. Let's say when we just talk about the issue which was just mentioned about livestock. Uh, For most of the countries there is significant challenges while there is an um, expected significant growth in livestock, there is is significant challenges in terms of available services for uh, for these livestock production issues uh, including to veterinary services, access to breeds, There's also issues around fodder and some animal foods are much less uh, greenhouse gas intense than others. And so all that kind of network that would enable these countries to promote that livestock growth and intensification in a more sustainable way is, for example, uh, lacking in most of the countries. And it's often mentioned in their policy documents. But it's also mentioned as many other things. So, you know, it may not stand out, but in the light of the finding of the study, for example, it's an info, important part of the intervention. Other part is also the link between farmers' income, farmers' well being, and agricultural productivity um, and the linkages for nutrition. Um, often, when these, um, these studies or policy priorities focus on addressing agricultural productivity, it assumed um, that the farmers will somehow figure it out, the income will be improved, and they will be better off. But from the farmer side, and this is also talks about Catherine, there is there is a very little disaggregation of the actual income, actual improvements in well-being, actual improvements in nutrition, and also between gender and places. So again, um, looking targeting these interventions um, at the farm level for um, especially from the point of view of the finding of the study taking an um, approach from the nutrition uh, from the poverty reductions um, part as part of the smallholder and agriculture productivity improvement would be very important uh, for these countries and also issues around social protection which has already been mentioned um, uh, before so I, I won't go into details thank you
0: thank you livia thank you very much and with this, uh, we have uh, and one more question from um, Mami Niam ina Lie, and the question is: Why is the twenty thirty target for dietary composition not the same from the for the uh, three countries?
2: So maybe I can take that
6: if you like.
2: Thank
0: you, Karen.
6: Did you want to take it, Alan?
4: I don't
6: care. Go ahead. Okay. Okay. So I'm um, I'm not sure if I fully understood the question, but the reason why um so the reason why the target is different, the t- target in the model is different is what I explained, what the what happened with our engagement with stakeholders in Ethiopia. There was a strong call to add this pulses and legumes target that we did not have with the Nigerian and the Malawi um. um Uh, stakeholders Um, and then if you look at where we want diets to be by 2030 there you also see differences right so if you looked at that that opening graph um, where you saw where we are actually and where we want to be by 2030 it looks different and that was partly um, a decision by us to say The the transition to healthy diets for 100% of the population in each of these countries is quite unrealistic for a seven year period from basically now to 2030. And so we wanted to remain in the realm of the realistic or the possible, even though, as Willems clearly said, like the scale of resources needed is just not available. But we did want to remain in the realm of the possible. And so what we have is. We have a scenario where with this additional money, sixty more or less 60% of the population in each of the three countries attains that healthy diets target. So it's not everyone. So you saw, I think it was one of Francine's slides. We, we, we basically eliminate hunger. We get to below 3% prevalence of undernourishment in each of the three countries. So more than 97% of people get enough calories. But it's true that in terms of this transition to a healthier diet, we're trying to get to around 60% in each country. And that's why you get that $108 million figure of 108 million people can now get a healthy diet.
4: Karen, I'm gonna to add to that um, just slightly. One of the things that uh, we we know is that, well, so there's, there is a target for fruits and vegetable consumption, which is 400 grams from the WHO. Uh, there is no actual target for pulses and legumes consumption, or animal source food consumption, or any other type of consumption. So we, there, you're flying either blind, or you have to fly with, say, the Eat Lancet diet, which has uh, its own problems. Just as a, as an example of a, of a, of a diet that that people have proposed. Um, as a result, what we did is we decided to. Try to target for, as as Karen said for realistic improvements in the other categories, um, in the types of foods that people were able to reach, and we were trying to look at again like getting at a, a minimum dietary diversity with that as well. Um, so that's I think where where that was coming from. Just want to now that I've said the words minimum dietary diversity, I want to comment on the um, the two uh, discussants who both uh, rightfully mentioned the the. Uh, minimum dietary diversity amongst women as being a, a key indicator. Um, we like that. In, I'm, I'm a microeconomist most of the time. Um, so I love the, uh, the micro indicators like the, the MDDW. We, we measure it all the time. It's just tricky to measure when you're modeling um, what's happening to MDDW because it's much more complicated to disaggregate things by gender. Um, So that's why we may not have mentioned it uh, previously. Thanks.
0: Thank you, um, Alan and and Karen, for for those answers. Uh, And then we have, I would like just to ask one last one um, for more than one of you, just to see if we can get a a feeling. So clearly from this um, event and after looking at the report and everything, it is very clear that this kind of work, it is very important and timely. So can you... Elaborate a little bit and what are some of your thoughts about on ways to build on this work uh, forward. So I don't know if maybe uh, Sean, do you want to, to start with this. Thank you.
1: Sure, thanks, Larry. I mean, I, I think a lot of it's been said already, but one thing that comes out um, of the discussions is this focus on win wins on identify using this kind of approach to identify policies which may have benefits for food security, but also for sort of climate change mitigation, adaptation, or uh, public health, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and I think that's great. And that, that makes a lot of sense. I would caution, though, that the politics, the political economy around around food systems transformation means that there will be lots of policies that are inevitable, that are not win-wins. And I think it's it's also important for us, those of us working in this space to think about um policy packages if there are going to be policies implemented that are good for nutrition but not good on other areas how can those be combined and integrated with other policies that kind of mitigate the, the trade offs involved so not only thinking about these sort of magical win wins but also mixes that that really are optimal from a kind of systemic you know, transformation viewpoint so i think that's very interesting and i think very quickly to add that you know all of this is fantastic all the insights being generated from this work replicated elsewhere would be great uh, building a kind of repository on what works would be excellent making sure that this is accessible to policymakers that it's in language that policymakers understand and can use very easily um, and that can be also tested at a kind of you know national level tested does this work in our context so thinking about the approaches to replicate would also be for me uh, something to take this forward thanks
0: thank you so much uh sean for this um i don't know if um Karen, if you have something to add to this, Francine?
6: I think the only thing I would add, and that I've learned from both this experience and and having been involved in the Series 2030 report, um, is that we have to resist the temptation of trying to look for solutions that achieve single outcomes. Because it's those solutions that are often very effective for achieving that single outcome, but that create all these negative and unintended consequences. So my example of the Nigeria rice um, priority, right, was probably a very sound food security strategy for Nigeria and probably made a lot of sense. But if it was done without thinking of what the unintended consequences of prioritizing rice production over another staple you then don't account for what happens to your emissions and what effects those might be so every time you're thinking this is a great idea this is the solution to this problem we have to move away from single problem, single solutions we've got these complex integrated systems that have multiple problems and when we're looking for solutions, we have to make sure we're achieving multiple outcomes. We have to make sure there is a poverty outcome, a hunger outcome, a climate outcome, a biodiversity outcome, because when we don't do that, we end up creating all these negative you know, the environmental community calls them negative externalities, but we create all these negative unintended consequences. And you can do the same if you're pursuing purely climate policies because you want to get to net zero, but you're ignoring the social problems. So I think this is for me, one of the big key lessons. And I think what has to now happen going forward with all kind of policy making and, you know, global convenings on specific problems.
2: Thank you very much, uh, Karen. Um, If no, yes, Livia.
5: Just one kind of further steps. I completely agree what was said about other countries' solutions. From a policymaking point of view, the, the next step would be also to kind of looking at the, the activities at the subnational level, implementation challenges, programming, so how these priorities, you know, that and Karen said, you know, let's go complexity, and then I think, you know, how much complexity policy making world can handle, and how they can effectively implement things at often subnational level where there is significant lack of capacities, to do um, this type of thing, especially with increasing complexity. So looking at what these highly, because from series we moved global to national and now we're at national level. Then, and then now the, some part of this work we need to go to subnational level where the, there are capacity differences, needs differences, context differences, sub-national strategies, and also with the SDGs, the focus on localization and taking SDGs beyond the national level priority might be something that would actually add much more specificity and much more kind of concrete type of activities um, and examples for this type of findings that we have.
0: Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Livia. And thank you. Uh, Francine, do you want to say something? Yes. Sure.
3: Yes, definitely, I, I would like also to react a bit on what Willem was telling about the fact that we need also to look money elsewhere. And I think uh, though this kind of evidence provides us a bit of, yes, uh, to countries, uh, a specific entry point where they can achieve multiple outcome, uh, but also to take opportunity of existing mechanism. For example, we, the Zero Hunger Coalition is a platform where we have donors and countries that are uh, in Malawi, Nigeria, and uh, are among those uh, members that Zero Hunger Coalition, looking at how to implement those coastal roadmap. Because from evidence, we need also to actually challenge the, 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 the reality by uh, 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 investing in those priorities that we have defined. And then there's also a nice uh, way of uh, donors country to meet and also to, to, to move forward. And also the Zero Hunger Coalition is also uh, having in his arm, one of the pillars is the private sector uh, pledge, which actually also uh, respond also to will inquiry on how we need also to tap on other kind of resources. And the private sector need, uh, is also one of the, the, the uh, stakeholders that we need to look at if we need to transform food uh, system more uh, rapidly.
0: Thank you, thank you so much, uh, Francine. And with this, uh, let me close uh, this event. But before that, I would like just to thank all my my colleagues. Um, we are looking forward to keep working with you, IISD, Shamba Center, uh, FAO, and also uh, thank you very much for that. And also thank you, uh, William, Catherine, for joining us today. I know that um, time is very very valuable, so we really appreciated your comments on this. And last but not least, I would like to. Um, Malawi, our heart is is with them uh, on this moment. So uh, I would like just to also acknowledge that. Uh, Well, thank you, everyone, and um, hope to see you sometime soon. Bye-bye.